Um, you just cut that right yep, out. I'm just going to, because that could go in a whole other direction. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's me, Amy Vallejo, with Social Creative Conversations. I don't know if you're new to Social Creative Conversations or if you join us for regular dialogues, but either way, I'm so glad to have you with us today. Our space explores the women behind many creative brands. We connect through conversation and stories because as you well know, we are more than just a pretty little tile on a social media platform. We live full lives with the complexities and beauty to share, to learn, and to grow from. And my hope is the sharing of our lives and learnings deepens our connections so much greater. I am back with London Tierney from Particle Goods. I am so excited that she said yes to this little bonus episode. Although I do want to admit there was many ounces of my being that literally wanted to cancel this episode. (laughs) I can't share that. I I can't share that. That's that's terrible. I don't want people to know that that's the way I am or that that's the way I was. Talking about your unhealthy tendencies of your personality or your behavior is extremely vulnerable and it made me feel very exposed and very raw, especially when I thought about people listening back to this and then meeting me in person. That can feel very uncomfortable. Today, we're diving into Enneagram. We're talking specifically to London and I's number, which is an Enneagram 8. And you're going to hear us talk about some things from our past and some of the unhealthy tendencies that we can fall into, and also the ways that we are learning and growing and changing in efforts to be better, better to ourselves, better to those around us, better to our partners. And there's a couple of things I want to call out before we jump into the episode. Number one, I am truly so grateful to London because although we laughed until our cheeks hurt, we also had some very sincere very deep conversations. And she shares some very vulnerable things about her father and about her process of grieving all while, you know, developing particle goods. And, And now you really will understand how she is so tied to what she produces and puts out in the world creatively. Number two, I want to clarify that just like you, we all have a little bit of every number. We resonate most with one number, but I really struggled in the beginning with being typed, and that is not uncommon. Number three, for the primary resource in our conversation, I used a book that really was pivotal for me. It's called The Road Back you by Ian Morgan Crone and Susan Stabile, both very prominent Enneagram teachers. When I had that moment where the light was directly shining on me and I was like, this is me, that was through this book. And I have learned a lot. And I will tell you over the process of my life, I can look back and see ways that I have changed 
immensely for the better in my relationships with so many people and also the way I treat myself. I'm learning. I am a work in progress. And so are we all. So as you listen to this, please listen with ears that offer grace and also hear a woman that is imperfect and working on ways to be better, ways to serve others better, ways to partner better, ways to love better. And if used with the right intentions, eights are pretty fantastic people. I think it can be really easy for us to talk about the flaws and not enough about the strengths. The goal ultimately is to be a healthier, kinder human being. And I hope that you hear that as you listen to this podcast. And with every brave ounce of my being, I am now going to turn it over to the conversation I had with London as we talk about Enneagram 8s. about Enneagram. <laughs> I just got to talk to you, you know, about all things candles. You're, you know, like I've kind of dubbed you the queen of fragrance. If you haven't heard it, please go back and listen to it because you'll you'll start to get a sense of who sense. Did you get that? Yeah. You're like, yeah, I've heard that one before, pun. Okay. You will start to get an idea of uh, a little bit of our personalities or our behaviors or how we are, because I admitted I have, well, we both have trust issues, although you have soared leaps and bounds beyond me in that. So I have things to learn, uh, learn for you, but, um, you know, just, we kind of share just a little bit of how as eights, we have an unhealthy tendency to not be uncomfortable with vulnerability mm-hmm. and how that presents itself and shows up. And I was sharing just about, and maybe you a little bit about our struggle with productivity and how hard it is to just sit and, and have a safe white space for ourselves. And so I was like, hey, I asked you, I was like, hey, wouldn't it be fun to be very vulnerable and like <laughs> have a bonus episode? Internal streaming. Just- <laughs> I know, exactly. <laughs> Let's just get real raw. But talking about maybe if we share a little bit of, you know, how we both came to discover Enneagram. So first off, I'll just start. We're both Enneagram 8s. However, we have different wings. And for the purpose of this episode, I'm going to say that a lot of the descriptions that I use and that kind of thing will come from this book, The Road Back to You. I think a lot of people, when they when they discover their number, they're like, oh my gosh, it was like you were literally pointing a finger right at me. The spotlight was on me. I felt seen. I felt heard. That's how I felt when I read this book. If you, <laughs> London can see all my post-it notes in it. 
<laughs> so many post-it notes. I really started getting into the Enneagram this last summer. Actually, I'll I'll share a little bit about my experience and how I came into it. Then I would love, London, for you to share a little bit about how you discovered that you were an eight. <laughs> so when I, many, many, many years ago, maybe like God, even eight years ago, the group of friends that I had were super into the Enneagrams. And you know why I wasn't? Because I'm an eight. Because I was like, no one's going to control me. No one is going to tell me who I am or how I am. You don't get that. You don't have the right to tell me. I decide. And so they were like, but this is so great. Like you can actually like really learn so much about yourself. I was like, nope. I already know all, I mean, I had the hard, tough, bullish facade, all of it. And many, many years later now, I really started to be like, oh my gosh, like I started to get to where I just was wanting to learn more about myself. I think we all have that, right? Where it's, we should always be in a constant learning of who we are, how we are, how we can be better, find our more healthy self. And so in that pursuit I started, I did the Enneagram test. Which is the Enneagram Institute test. The Enneagram Institute test. Yes. Um, but I did that. And then I was like, oh gosh. And then it, that just led me down a whole freaking rabbit trail of now I want to know everything. I want to know everything about the Enneagram. And I did find it to be so enlightening and so correct. I mean, we are all have a little bit of all the numbers, but we have a tendency to resonate more with a couple of specific ones. So I found myself to be, when I took the test, I was an eight, seven. uh, Well, I was a seven and an eight. I was within a point of either one. So I, I usually flip back and forth. I very much resonate in this book as an eight, seven, but oftentimes I'll feel more like a seven, eight. So I can see that in you. Yes, I know. I, I, I've heard (laughs) us. Sarah said that she was like, London says she's too, like, happy. <laughs> she's too happy to be an eight. I was like, hmm, I could be too energetic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's sort of how I got into it. How did you, what was your experience finding out that you were an eight? Oh, um, I think it so I was working at Theo Chocolate Factory. So this was like right around the time of formation of particles. So like 2017, somewhere in that year. And I had a coworker who was uh just really obsessed with the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also happened to be the person who recommended my therapist, and it was also her therapist. And I was like, oh, <laughs> if if I see where this is good for you, like that'll be good for me, right? So it's like, okay, I kind of like I I can see how I could trust you. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> really funny. But she was like, she was very into typing everyone that we worked with. And so I was yeah. reading about it. And I always like to say, you know, when you read the descriptions, like the one that you are is the one that you feel a little bit attacked by where you're like, totally. wow, okay. But like, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's not not true, but like, geez. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, oh yeah definitely an eight. And I was like, and also I was like, my parents are both definitely eights. So like, I didn't stand a chance when I read. Yeah. It was like eight (laughs) all the way. Yes. Oh my gosh. That is so funny. And I should say that both of our husbands are nines, which is (laughs) sort of interesting. Serious nine. My favorite is when you read 
the compatibility on I think it's on the Enneagram Institute you like read the like the eight nine as a couple oh, yeah and like we just laughed so hard because it was so true it was like you know eights we push and nines they just get like kind of they're kind of like well you're not gonna tell me so I'm just gonna like dig in harder oh yeah and just resist I'm not gonna like physically or actively you know go against you or create more conflict I'm just gonna not not do anything Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'll tell you what, that was like one of our best date nights <laughs> is going through that thing because it's so hilarious mm. and it's really hard to be like, yes, you do that. You <laughs> do do that. That is you on both sides. So for those who are not familiar, I'm going to straight out just read an excerpt on what an eight seven is. And then what an eight and nine is so we can get, so everyone will have a sense of where we're coming from before we get into this like dialogue. So eights with a seven wing, this can be a wild combination. Eights with a seven wing are outgoing, energetic, and fun, reflecting the seven's sunny personality. They are ambitious, impulsive, and sometimes reckless. These eights live life to the fullest. They are the most energetic of all numbers and the most entrepreneurial. The seven energy masks the more wary eight. So they are more social and more gregarious than other eights. So this is eights <laughs> with, so that would be me, Amy. And this is where London most swings. Eights with a nine wing. Eights with a nine wing have a more measured approach to life. They are more approachable and more open to cooperation over competition. In keeping with the nine ten- nine's tendency to play a peacemaking role. Because of the nine's gift for mediating, they are not ordinary eight. Eight wing nines can be conciliatory. They are supportive, modest, and less blustery, and others are happy to follow their lead. When the nine's gift of seeing both sides of everything is available to eights, they they become successful negotiators in situations both big and small. Okay, after reading that about potentially you, I'm not putting you in a box, okay? Not saying that's how you are. That's the nicest eight synopsis I've ever heard. Well, it's funny because, you know, I think a lot of the resistance to Enneagram, just like I had, was like, no, you're not going to put me in a box. But then when you when you do feel like the spotlight, it's like, oh my gosh, I feel seen. Like, how did mm-hmm. they know that that's, do you, are there parts in that that you're like, no, yeah. I think, I think that's what I like to think that I can be like when I'm at my like best self, right? right. Like I'm probably not always that way, but I think like that is what, that is my like goal to be you know, more like measured tempered. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So a question for you, because oftentimes I've heard it said that when you're trying to find your number or uh, when you're thinking about maybe your most unhealthy Mm. side is to think of yourself at 20, because that was the time when we had no other concern other than ourselves. It was all about us. And versus now, when you think about London 8, well, actually, I'm curious if you even knew that you were. It sounds like you maybe knew that you were an 8 at 20. I don't think I did. London in her 20s versus London now, how would you say that you have become or come to have more healthy tendencies? 20s to now. I, I mean, first, like, 
you couldn't pay me enough to be 20 again. I know that there are people who yeah. are like, those were the best. <laughs> I'm like, no, it's actually the worst. Like I was ready to be 30. So early yeah. on, I was just like, let's do this thing. Like wisdom's yeah. got to come at a later point. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> I think 20 year old me was much more prone to the peacemaking aspect, uh, really to the detriment of vocalizing what I needed and standing up for myself. So I think that was mm-hmm. one that was, that was really, really hard. And I definitely didn't engage in conflict in the way that I engage now. Like I would feel it, mm. but I would just like stuff it right back down. You know what I mean? It was like, oh, I have mm. really big feelings, but I felt really overwhelmed by them. And I didn't know how to like deal with that. So it's just like, we're just going to put it all back in there. We're just going to just keep. See, now I find this so, 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 so fascinating. Well, and it usually ended up in some sort of like, you know, horrible, like spiral where like I would eventually like those would just like bubble back up as, as things do. And it would boil over yeah. and I would, you know, say something like mean, or I would have like a really, I, I, I felt at that time, I remember feeling like I didn't know like how to control all of these big feelings and that they often got the better of Just hearing that, I was like, oh my gosh, I want to ask her a question. So eights are known to like appreciate conflict. It's a, it's a place where we feel like, oh, you're going toe to toe with me. This feels like a very respectful place. Like I'm drawn to you. Like when Jake and I fight, I in the beginning of our marriage, I had such a problem with like, I don't respect you because you don't stand up for yourself. Mm-hmm. You don't have an opinion. You don't mm-hmm. fight back with me. You don't, you don't enjoy conflict as much as I do in the mm-hmm. sense of let's tussle this out. Yeah. You know what I mean? How being a peacemaker <laughs> and also an eight, do you feel that desire for a tussle or like to go toe to toe or drawn to someone because you have just gone through a tough, you know, I think I can. I mean, I, I would definitely say like, I'm not like, yes, let's have a conflict. Yeah. But if it's something I feel really passionate about, um, you know, I think I can, I can get to that point where I'm like, yes, I'm in it. And I want this because I know that like what I actually want is on the other side of that. right? Right. Like, Sometimes we can get a little too like consumed with being right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and yeah. I've had to like really learn that like, actually what I, what I want is not to be right. What I want is to feel like seen and heard. Yes. And I think that was kind of the changing point, but like, I am also, I mean, I am so protective of the people that I love. And if I am a mama bear, like yes. 100%, it's like a joke that is kind of my nickname is bear because like, if you even think you're going to like treat somebody that I love, you know, poorly, or you're going to like harm them, like, oh boy, do you have it coming? And I think in those moments, it's like, I am so ready to go toe to toe. It's usually when it's about myself and my own feelings that I can be a little, a little more shy about actually like getting into that conflict. Oh my gosh. That's so yes. Right on. I think what I appreciate about the conflict too, just like you were saying is I know the end result, what the end result is. I want to go there into the uncomfortable places because Mm -hmm. I want to be drawn closer to you. Like 
And in just that mm-hmm. same mama bear sense of like, I'm protecting our relationship and in order to protect it and really yes. like grow deeper in intimacy, we have to go to those places that are super uncomfortable. But it's interesting because my, you know, Jake's an, a nine and he is like, I actually don't want to go there, you know? And then when he does, mm-hmm. he's so glad he did. But for me, it's like, yeah. it almost just comes out of my mouth immediately, which comes off very, mm-hmm. very direct. They, you know, we, We're direct. we can yeah. be seen for having a very large, you know, big personality, big opinions, which is also another, you know, it's an unhealthy tendency, not be able to see the gray, um, in things, but, um, Mm -hmm. I have come to appreciate that what the nine can bring to someone who is like, let's go to toe to toe. And he needs to just process it a little bit in order to come to that, find the solution, that peacemaking solution that, you know, he's not afraid to go there because he also can see the reason the end result is to come closer together. You know, it's interesting when I was thinking about like my twenties, I did not know that when I would first meet someone, um, I had this reputation for being um, the total B word. Mm -hmm. They were like, oh my gosh. I like, Mm -hmm. I found out from my sister, people were afraid of me. People thought from initially that, they, you know, they were like, ah, I don't know if she likes me. And I was surprised by that. And I read something in that about how eights are, how they can come off to other people and not know it. And then we feel very hurt mm-hmm. to say like, I would never, we're surprised mm-hmm. to hear how we come off. We're so oblivious that we do come off like that. And I was just thinking back to my twenties of, oh yeah, I think there was a little part in that that I was surprised by a little, but a little part that I was like, good. Cause I don't have time for you. Like, you know, <laughs> yep. That's who I am. Yes. <laughs> Take it or leave it that, you know, and I would be fine to just walk away, yeah. um, you know, and definitely just black or white on things and fighting tooth and nail from my side always. And there was no other side, which came off in a very robust appearance. Um, and I know mm-hmm. that's something that I have journeyed through trying to find my healthier side of yeah. being able to see both sides and taking in people's opinions and not being always the first person to talk and just being, and also just being more aware of how I do come across to people. Yeah. It's just, it's, that's been something that I've sat in a little bit, but also been grateful to know that in the progression of life, I'm like, it's something that I've observed of myself and really tried to get to a healthier side on. So, but also that makes me feel very exposed. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm curious, you know, I was talking a little bit about how I'm definitely someone who has a tendency to like overwork and like definitely feel like I have to be productive all the time. And I can see that, you know, back to when I was in high school, I was always working and going to school when I was in college, I worked two jobs and went to school full time. And then like, you know, my first 
like leadership role, I, I took over a store. It was a Walden Books. May they, may they rest in peace, if you remember. Um, and I was 21. And so I, I think mm-hmm. I came out of the gate, like, from the very <laughs> felt like I had a lot to prove. And I think when you feel that way, there's this, there's this way in which you don't realize it, but you're really like armoring up. You know, you kind of like create that harder exterior that just like doesn't give a shit about other people, but you actually do. And so, you know, I definitely, when you were saying like people were intimidated by you, like I remember feeling that way about a lot of the people that I worked with, but I also felt like, well, if they don't think I'm tough, they're not going to respect me. It was like, if I'm, if I'm soft, they're not going to they're yeah. not going to do what I say. I'm younger than yes. these people. Like they're not going to listen to me if I'm soft, <laughs> which obviously like when you, when you think about it now is not true, but totally a belief that I held. Well, right. When you think about the attributes of a good leader, mm-hmm. it's not the toughness. It's about like how you're leading. And most of that comes from like wisdom, humility, you know, just all these, I mean, you can have a very direct approach without being tough. Yeah. Um, Tough and tender, right? Well, speaking of tender, (laughs) I wanted um, to read something, a question that I had just, you know, when we talk about vulnerability and how it's, we tend to have a tougher facade and, but we also have a very tender side. It was saying um, beneath all the intensity and anger energy, there is a heart brimming with tenderness and love. Eights will step in front of a speeding train like train, or take a bullet to the chest for their small circle of friends. A big problem for eights is confusing vulnerability for weakness. Mm-hmm. So they rarely let down their guard to allow others to see fragility or their deep desire to be understood and loved. And I, I know this is, this is very vulnerable. It's always vulnerable just to like speak out and share about our own story, but also knowing that it's hard for the makeup of ourselves and our behavioral tendencies. Can you speak to vulnerability? I will say, and in the in our previous episode, I had mentioned an article and it was talking about your need to find authenticity, connection, and community to yourself and going through like a hard reset. And and that was coming from a bigger place. I mean, it, it was coming from a health space, but you had this white space time, which was very transformative for you. And, you know, kind of going back to working things out for yourself. And I am just, I'd I'd be honored to hear as much as you feel comfortable sharing just about your story with that. And I think it's very, it's very intriguing as you relate it to your story with particle goods, which is how you're so tied passionately to. So to my eightness and all of it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, we were talking about it a little bit in in the podcast before that we recorded where, you know, I was coming out of this like physical illness. And I think there's this thing about being an eight where we often we cope really well, right? Like almost sometimes to the point in which we don't realize how poorly we're actually coping. Yeah. And, And removing the physical illness was like 
this big mirror in front of me where I had to look at like, why am I burnt out, anxious, depressed, and more so than I've ever been in my life. And I think that oftentimes, you know, when we experience prolonged exposure to trauma or we witness trauma, it can become kind of our default resting place without us realizing it. I mean, our bodies store our experiences, but they also store our emotions around those experiences. And like the thing about being an eight is that we are very much in our body, right? Like Mm -hmm. that is Mm -hmm. how we process things. So the thing that can be really dangerous about being an eight is that if we don't deal with those emotions, like it can be really problematic to our health and to our mental health. So I remember like, I think it was a Brene Brown quote where she said, you know, if we deny our emotions, they double down, they burrow, they metastasize. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a really good explanation for how I felt. It was like, I have not dealt with a lot of things in my relationships and and in my human experiences that I need to sort of rumble Mm -hmm. with. So I started really figuring out how am I going to do that? So obviously like, you know, I, I will shout from the rooftops. I think everybody should be in therapy. It's Absolutely. so amazing. Oh it's gosh. like such a wonderful place to, you know, start to explore those things. But it, it became really clear kind of later on in 20, 2017, later that year, as I was creating more white space and really listening to myself and really looking at where in my body I was holding a lot of these things that there were a lot of things about my relationship with my parent, with my father that were really harmful Mm -hmm. for me as much as I love him and as much as he loved me. And so I became really distant and eventually we became estranged. Mm -hmm. So I think it's one of those parts of the stories that I don't often tell Mm -hmm. only because I think when I do, it can be really uncomfortable Mm -hmm. for people, right? This idea of like, well, okay, what do I do with that? Right? Like there's this sense of like, that must be only a negative thing, or that must be only a a really like painful thing. And the really cool thing about digging into that is that I've realized it's, it's more complicated. It's more ambiguous. And I've given a lot of time to having to sit in that discomfort, which as an eight is like, I think it's, yeah, I think the best way to describe it is it's like, there was this time of, over the course of about a year where I just felt like I was at, like someone had taken me and folded me inside oh. out. And like everything that was on the inside was exposed and really raw and everyone could see it. It was like, I couldn't, I couldn't not feel and show the things I was feeling. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was trying to figure out how to navigate this relationship and decide where I wanted to go and how long that distance was going to be and what distance I wanted. Um, And my therapist suggested creating a ritual, um, which I had already kind of been doing with the incense and the meditation, but I kind of went back to my roots where my grandmother would always say, you know, I'll light a candle for you. So it was this idea of lighting a candle for a person And in Catholicism, that was always a really symbolic kind of like ritual, sacred gesture. And I loved that idea. So I started lighting a candle for my father. Like I would, you know, I would light it as often as I needed to. And it was amazing that just the act of doing that created this 
emotional spaciousness within me. It was like, it gave me the space to process these feelings, to hold these kind of like conflicting beliefs and ideals about him in a way that gave me access to more empathy and more forgiveness and more just like, I think, overall understanding about our relationship, which therefore gave me more access to joy and healing. And so I think I had had this belief for so long that it was like black and white, right? You have to feel one way or the other. It's forgiveness or it's not, or it's everything is fine and we don't talk about anything else. And it's like, there is this other space that you occupy that is deeply complicated. And for a lot of people, I think holding two conflicting ideas about one person or about one relationship Mm -hmm. is impossible, Mm -hmm. if not just too painful. And for me, it was like the key to unlocking more connection. Like I have actually felt so much more connected to myself and to my father because I have created this way in which I can not just acknowledge, but feel like love and joy surrounding these wonderful memories and these wonderful parts of our relationship. So turning that into Mm. a business was not intentional. Like it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to like monetize this, but it was like, this feels really organic and really therapeutic. And if I can take this and, and put this into my creative practice, you know, this way of being vulnerable and working through these really complicated themes in a way that is healthy and like, Mm -hmm. why not do it? Right. So that was, that was really a big turning point in me being able to come up with like, what do I want to do with my life? Like, how do I want to show vulnerability? And what is a way that I can start to kind of access that? Because I don't think you can just go from having a really hard time being vulnerable to being a hundred percent vulnerable. So sometimes people don't realize that like most of the sense that I make are very much a tribute to the places that I've lived and the people Mm -hmm. that I've shared them with. Right. And so that is a way in which like I get to sort of be exposed and feel those feelings and put them out there and connect with other people. And I think the incense became a really big connection point where I was much more honest, I think about that, where I was like, okay, this is about cycles of grief and loss and renewal. And I was like, I kind of got that panic point where I was like, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can share this. Like this feels, this feels too personal. And I had a friend, she's like, just like, Mm -hmm. you need to put it out there. Like, this is what people, people want to know, like what's in your heart and why this is important to you. And so I put it out there and I had that immediate vulnerability hangover for like, I couldn't look at my phone for the whole rest of the day. Yes. Yes. It was just like, I'm not even going to see what they're saying. Oh my gosh. I know. And it was all positive. I mean, it was just this really beautiful point of connection where so many people were talking about. Mm-hmm. their own grief or their own loss, you know, particularly during the pandemic. And I think that became a really like good stepping stone for me, but it's still taken me some time to kind of work through that. So I feel really lucky that I have a place to kind of navigate through some of those emotions, but like, mm-hmm. I'm still a deeply private person. And it's really hard to find that, that perfect balance of like sharing the truthfulness and the like authenticity of our story while also kind of like trying to protect my heart, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah. It's interesting because 
I was thinking about the whole behind the scenes of it. I consider myself a pretty vulnerable or of a vocally vulnerable person. Like oftentimes I'm not afraid to share like how I'm feeling, but I think what would be surprising, and I'm curious to know if any, I'm curious, I want to ask a question in a second, but I think what may be surprising to know for a lot of people is that even behind the scenes of some of the stuff I may be sharing, it's only because I feel safe to share it. I'm making the decision to share it because I feel secure in sharing it. But the stuff that's really the vulnerable stuff is all the stuff that's happening behind the scenes that actually no one really knows about processing the insecurity that I'm feeling on like, oh my gosh, I can't say that. Like, I don't even know how I feel about that. The man, the real raw stuff. And that's from deep diving into our own self. Just when you were going through that with, you know, the, the finding the rituals and, and the journey with your dad, um, and really (laughs) feeling uncomfortable with the uncomfortable feeling that you were having. Did anyone know how you were feeling at that time? Maybe your husband or, or whomever, but who do you let into that space of vulnerability while you're, while it's all happening behind the scenes? Yeah, that was, you know, I think through that experience, it's it's kind of like putting your life through a sieve, right? Like not everyone is going to make it out. Like some things are going to shake through, but like not everything will. And it really did completely reorient like the whole landscape of my life Mm -hmm. and my social interactions because like not everyone could be in that with me. Um, I mean, I think for a while, even my husband had a hard time being in that space with me because it's a lot. It's really a lot. And it takes, you know, it's like, this isn't going to be like, I just need a week. It's like, this Mm -hmm. takes how long it takes. And I did have some really good friends who are obviously still my friends now who were able to make space for that, who didn't try to feel like they had to fix it, who just listened and were, you know, what do you need? Like that kind of support, right? Like people who are just like, I'm going to pick up groceries for you, or I'm going to like sit here while you cry into Mm -hmm. your slice of pizza and just like, Mm -hmm. just be there. And I think that is like the Mm -hmm. hardest thing to do is just to let someone be in their feelings and be there with them. Not trying to judge, not trying to fix it, not trying to do yeah, anything. But just absolutely. When we talk about the carving out of the white space, like I'm just thinking to my own situation, I had probably that same going back to the well and really hammering some things out and like deep diving into some the vulnerable guttural things. It's a hard place. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think they say you can't you can't heal in the same environment yeah. that needs. Yeah. To right? And that can be an emotional environment that can be a physical environment. You know, our bodies usually will tell us what they need. And then oftentimes I'm just like, and we're gonna, it's like, it's like when my computer wants to uh, install an update and I'm like, I'm going to push that off until tomorrow. It's that, but then with me, with myself, right. I'm just like, I'm pushing that. Yeah. Ask me again tomorrow, but every single day until finally my body is like, we are doing this. We are, we are shutting it down. Yes. Thanks for sharing that. I appreciate you just sharing it. I'm, I'm sure that there is a, there are other eights that are like, yes, yes. 
Well, I was talking with a friend, you know, obviously Father's yeah. Day just passed and I, I lit a candle for my father. I do other things like, you know, I'll make his favorite mm-hmm. meal on his birthday because he taught me to cook. And that's one of the things I love. But I was talking with a friend who lost her mm. father this year. Um, and I think we were just both having that conversation about how hard it is for people to not try to instill this sense of like wrapping all of your feelings up in a tidy bow or like making everything normal again. And I think after this last year, like there is so much more going on with every person Mm -hmm. than I think we ever see on the surface. And so my hope is just that like, we can all put into practice a little bit better, this way of holding space for really complicated. Yes, absolutely. And for me, like there's a part that wants to wrap it up and be done. Like I'm like, okay, that's good. Moving on, Uh moving on. And that's not the way life is. We are always going to be a work in progress. And there's always going to be things that maybe even in your journey with your dad or whatever it is that there we're continuing to grow and learn and having to apply that space consistently just evolve. Um, I appreciate that. Okay. I have just one more question and then we'll wrap it up because we talked a little bit about, um, it's been said that we can be suspicious of nice people because it's hard for us to trust people. And when someone is too nice, you're like, all right, what are you up to? Like, what are you doing? What do you want? What's the, what's the angle here? (laughs) Are you suspicious of nice people? And I'll just say, for those nice people who have been nice to us, we're not suspicious of you. We're talking about all the other nice people. Be honest. Yes, <laughs> she's I'm, dying. I'm laughing so hard that like my cheeks are starting uh, to hurt because like it's me. Yeah, I I'm always just like hmm, I don't know I about know. that. I just like just yeah, I get really suspicious that like are you really just nice? Are you just pretending to? And there have been a couple of people who like I knew, for example, on social media. And I was like, oh, they're probably like way too cool for school when you meet them in person. They're not really that nice. And then I was like, oh, damn. No, they're really cool. Well, shit. I judged that wrong. I know. But like, I mean, usually I feel like we're pretty good at being perceptive, which I think is just that like, we are distrustful of people who are like way too nice because it often feels really surface. Right. It's like, those are often the people who like, they don't like, they don't want to like dig down with you and like, yeah, we don't want to be vulnerable, but we want other people to be vulnerable. So if we think that you're just all surface, like I don't got time for that. Totally. I don't want to hear about what you ate for breakfast. I want to know like, you know, something. I know I want the meat. I want the meat. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And now all I can think about is the next time that we are actually somewhere where we're meeting people. (laughs) I'm just going to give you a look like "Mm -hmm." now, if you guys see London and I at a party, we'll just be hanging out with ourselves because we know you're judging us. (laughs) No one wants to come over to us. Well, thank you so much. (laughs) I'm going to leave it at that. 
We're going to have very vulnerable, awkward hangovers. Just know for anyone who's listening, we are literally going to take the next 10 minutes after this podcast episode, and we're going to be sitting in a corner just feeling extremely exposed. But of course, we just only talked about just a small, a small bit. And we all have different facets of all the different behaviors and and numbers and everything. So, and our whole goal always, you know, I, I asked you to share a little bit with me because no story that's ever told is for nothing. We can learn so much from everybody's from everybody's story. There's always something to teach, always something to learn, and always a place to grow. So we want to grow into a more healthy person, and that's the goal. So thank you so much for just dying of laughter and turning beat red with me. I appreciate it. And, you know, if you guys see us at a party, we'll just be, we're looking forward to getting to know you, but just don't be too nice to us. Okay. (laughs) Um, I'm really excited for people to, to get to know you through what you put out into the world, because as I just heard, so much of you is tied to the creative making that you gift us with. Thank you for sharing yourself with us in so many ways it's very personal and i'm just glad for it so thank you okay who's hanging out with us anyone anyone want to hang out with london and me i know all the eights will that's for sure oh you guys thank you so much for sticking in and listening that was such a fun episode but also probably one of the most vulnerable episodes that I have recorded. It felt very exposing and very raw, but honestly, I don't know that I would have wanted it any other way. I think that that's really what eights look for. Some of those uncomfortable places that draw people in so that we can go deeper and truer with each other. And I am so grateful that London was a part of that because, man, she explained things so well. I am so fortunate to be in a position to have conversation with other people who can elaborate and very eloquently relay some of the things that I am trying to get out of my mouth. Sometimes that is very hard for me. But as we were talking about, you know, trust and and those kind of things... She's so right. We can tend to draw from the gut. Our instincts are always very suspicious because trust is such a huge deal to us. But I tell you what, once you have it, you've got it. And because we tend to be very invested, it's a big deal to give a part of ourselves away to someone else and trust that with them. And just like you heard, we can be very tender people. Behind that sometimes tough exterior lies a person who is extremely insecure and very tender. As I'm editing the podcast, I get to listen to it one time by myself, and I kept hearing myself say the word conflict, and I really just want to call that out. I really feel like that was the wrong word choice. The truth is, is that I seek honesty I live for honesty, and I would rather have a blunt word that is truth 
instead of beating around the bush. And that conflict is the squirmy part that we feel that feels extremely uncomfortable, but it also is the most true place. And that's where I want to live, in the most true space. And as I was thinking about it, I thought of a perfect example to share that actually includes another eight who happens to be London, and she has no idea that I'm sharing this. But a long time ago, when I started this podcast, it was a very scary thing to do. It's always scary when you put something new out into the world and think, oh my gosh, what are they going to think? And it was new to me. I'm learning. I'm growing. I asked London in an email what she thought of the first episode of the podcast. And like a true eight, she told me some constructive criticisms. And it was hard to receive, but also, man, did I respect it. And that tiny comment that she made, that she probably has no idea was so impactful, really knit me together with her. I respect her all the more because she was honest and gave me some opportunity to be challenged and to grow. And that makes me trust her all the more. So thank you, London, for something that you probably had no idea that you did. And to that, also, I'll say, I'm growing. I'm still trying to figure out this podcast thing. I'm still trying to improve and do better every episode. And yes, I know I need some soundproofing gear. Because finding a quiet space in a home of five is literally impossible. And I do welcome the constructive criticism and truth and ways that I can be better. So go ahead, put those in the reviews. And if you like anything, you can put that in the review too. I won't be mad at that. Thank you so much for listening in and being a part of our conversation. And... Honestly, if we're at a party together, please come stand next to me and let's dive in to some deep conversation. I can't wait to get to know you better. Thanks for being a part of this community. And as always, thanks for being a part of the conversation. Conversation.